Father, count us, number us, fit us into the face of the earth, and renew us as well, we pray this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. So the vision for Holy Trinity Church, the organizing principle or something you might say of this fellowship of believers is really very simple. And that is we are apprentices of Jesus. So like for me, I wouldn't particularly want to be known as a leading Pentecostal thinker. Not that that's a bad thing, but I wouldn't want that to be my basic handle as they say. Don't think I'd wanna be known as a leading charismatic pastor. Um, What I'm like really thrilled to be known as is somebody who thinks Jesus is absolutely and completely stunning. Brilliance. Loving beyond description, holy beyond words, and I have chosen to make him my master, and I'm his apprentice, I'm his student, I'm a disciple, I'm a learner, I'm trying to live to learn, I'm trying to learn to live my life as he would live it if he were I. So how would Jesus be an author? How would Jesus be a seminary professor? How would Jesus be a pastor, a husband, a father, a friend? That's what we're up to here. And our sort of shorthand language for that is we're on this journey and we're in this journey outward. And that is to say apprenticeship to Jesus and the pursuit of our own spiritual transformation into his likeness can never merely be for our own piety. There's a big thing going on here, a big picture story happening, and that includes that our transformation ends up being experienced by others as for their good. See, one of the big stories rolling in the background of the New Testament is that it's possible in the pursuit of religion to become a worse kind of person. And that's the, that's the sort of tape that's playing in the conversation always between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These were highly religious people who actually had become worse sorts of human beings. And so when we come to this week, when we come to the end of Easter tide and this pivotal week between Easter and ordinary time, this week called Pentecost, we discover that if we're actually going to successfully be on this journey outward in a way that our communities experience it is for their good, that it's going to require this thing called the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And what's crucial to know as we start here is that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking in Pentecostal categories. And we're not talking in charismatic or even, on the other side, dispensational categories. That's not what's in view here. What's in view here, are you with me, is the third person of the Holy Trinity. This is God Almighty we're talking about. This is not like, well, for people who are sort of a little bit emotional and kind of like Pentecostal churches, you know, they can interact with the Holy Spirit. But the rest of us, we don't need an ongoing conversational relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. And it's just not true. If we are going to pursue spiritual transformation into Christ-likeness for the sake of others, that has to be according to Jesus. This is why I started by saying, I actually trust him. I don't mean to say you don't. But you hear me? I actually think he knows what he's talking about. So when he says, I have other things that I wanted to tell you, but I couldn't tell you when I was with you, but don't worry, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, I go, okay, bring it on. What does that mean? 
How do I have an ongoing conversational relationship with the Holy Spirit so that I can actually be an apprentice of Jesus? So anything that we talk about this morning, I want you to hear it under that basic, simple rubric that what we're trying to do here is not be Anglicans, we're not trying to be Pentecostals or Charismatics, and we're not trying to be anti-Pentecostal or anti-Charismatic. We are trying to be followers of Jesus. And Jesus said, central to my project, central to what I'm up to with my Father, is that you have this ongoing engagement with me through the Holy Spirit. So our main lesson this morning is, of course, the reading from the book of Acts. And as you know, we studied Acts uh, last uh, summer during ordinary time, but I don't expect you to actually remember that. But when we, when we did, we said that it was sort of Luke volume two, meaning that in the gospel of Luke, Luke tells the story of everything that God had been doing uh, with Jesus up until the time that he ascended into heaven. And then he picks up the story of what God's doing in the church and um, what God's doing through his people through telling this story of the Holy Spirit. So what Luke wants us to know is that the growth and spread of the church didn't happen by its own power or its own enthusiasm. Luke wants us to know that the growth of the church that we see in Acts didn't happen by human enthusiasm. And it didn't happen by sort of political sophistication or organizational sophistication, but that it happened supernaturally. Now, there's a word you don't hear every day in polite conversation. Supernaturally. Luke wants us to know that it happened by the Spirit. And, and, he, and, and what he's doing, he's connecting the story for us something like this. That God gave the law to the people of Israel as a way to shape and guide their life. Now God's doing something very similar to that, only he's giving you the Spirit and this is where it gets a bit difficult for those of us who tend to be modern, that is to say scientific in our thinking, because when you had tablets of stone, you had something physical you could deal with. And when you had Jesus in a physical body, you had something you could touch and hug, and he could look at you with those penetrating eyes, and you could deal with it. But when he says, I'm going to give you the Spirit, this introduces us to something that's a bit uncomfortable, because it's unseen. My favorite word for it is that it's transrational. I like that word a lot better than supernatural because I don't think we know what supernatural means. Although I Googled it this morning and the first like 20 hits were, is it a show, a TV show or something? I'm sure, I was just looking for a definition and all these clips came up. I had no idea. It was, is it a show? I, I don't know, it just, I don't know, maybe it's a bad show. I just hasn't been looking at it, I don't know. But it, that's what popped up. But we don't really know what that word means. It has those sort of pop overtones. But transrational is very specific and very helpful. Because transrational says that if you become a person of the Spirit, it doesn't mean that you become irrational. And I, don't, I know that for some of you, that's what you fear. You fear that if I really give myself to an ongoing conversational relationship with God the Holy Spirit, I will become irrational. You say, I've seen them on TV. And I don't want to have Pepto-Bismol colored hair, you say. <laughs> and I don't want to sit in a gold throne. And so I know that for many of us, that's our fear, that I will be, to really become a follower of Jesus in the way of the Spirit, I have to become irrational. 
And that's not what's in play here. What's in play here is something that's transrational, which means it includes the rational, materialistic, scientific world, but it goes beyond it. It includes us in this much bigger worldview that Jesus himself was living in. So Jesus would be alone with his father in a quiet place, and then he would come out in public and do the most astounding things. One time he had the audacity to heal a man on the Sabbath. And those people who were worse human beings in the pursuit of religion said to him, what in the H-E double toothpicks are you doing healing on the Sabbath? You can't do that. That's against the law. And Jesus said to them, you know, oy vey, you know, like, you don't know what you're talking about. And so whenever he was challenged about why he was doing what he was doing, he said, I only say the things I hear my father saying. I only go out in public and do the things that I see my father doing. And that's what Jesus is inviting you into when he asks you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit does not mean the irrational things that you might fear it means. The Greek term baptizo is a very simple word. I mean, picture this as a cup of water, a glass of water, and you have a marble or something. You take the marble and you put it in the water. When the water overwhelms that marble, when that marble is fully immersed in the water, it's baptized. So Jesus says, take your life. And let's just pretend for the sake of discussion this morning that our life can be symbolized by our bodies. He says, take that and immerse it in the spirit. Take your actual everyday ordinary life and immerse it in the spirit. Let it just come over you. And what if that could really happen? All the pain of your life, the confusion, the hopes, the dreams, the heartaches. Remember 20 years ago or about, I just remember Debbie and I were living in a yellow house in Anaheim. I remember that. I got a horrible case of shingles, like world class. I was covered from head to toe. I looked like a monster. I had blisters on me, all over me, that were big as half dollars. The pain was excruciating. I remember we had a pool in the backyard, and it must have been summer, because I would go outside and I would just pace around the pool like a madman. Because I didn't know what to do with the pain. It's, inscru- it's excruciating. It's beyond belief excruciating. And there's nothing really they can do about it. But then somebody told me about a certain kind of bath, and I don't remember what it is. You put certain things in a bath, and then you immerse yourself in the bath. And I remember the worst pain was on my scalp. That's where it started, the shingles. And if I could have put my whole body in that bath, I would have. And Jesus looks at the pain and confusion and heartache and wonderment in the eyes of his disciples when he said, it's to your good that I go away. He looks at that pain and confusion and wonderment, and he says, here's what I want you to do with it. Immerse it in the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit just come over your life, your entire life, body, soul, and spirit. Wounds of the past, confusions of frustrations on the present, hopes for the future. Immerse it in the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about here. If you look at the little, um, the little insert that I wrote for the bulletin this week, it's got a couple of important things that I want to highlight. That, that the outpouring of the Spirit 
This doesn't come out of the blue. This isn't something that was invented by Pentecostals. It's not something that was invented in, you know, by Dennis Bennett in the 70s, you know, the famous Anglican renewal guy. This emerges out of a story. It emerges out of the story of the inbreaking of the kingdom. So when John the Baptist is in public doing his ministry, he says to them, look, here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to ignite the kingdom life in you. He's going to ignite a fire in you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. And so what Pentecost celebrates, weeks like today celebrate, is the ongoing presence of this promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it just reminds us yearly to anticipate this happening in our life. Because it's, the look at the third paragraph there, it's the Holy Spirit that animates our lives, that turns dead wood into life-shouting, vibrant green, with the color of growth, which is the liturgical color of ordinary time, as you'll see next week. And when we pursue this, several really important co components of the Christian life come into play, and I talked about these last week. Authority, power, gifts, Character transformation. So Pentecost, I say here, breathes life into the time in which we actually live. There was Pentecost, let's say 2,000 years ago. There is what will be the fullness of the kingdom when the king returns. And we live in between that time. And what Pentecost does is it animates and it, or excuse me, what the reception of the Spirit does is it animates and energizes and fills us with the Spirit to live in this time that we actually presently live in. So I started out saying that we're organized around being followers of Jesus. But I've been around the block long enough to know that lots of us, myself included, have had less than amazing experiences with the Holy Spirit. I mean, I know the whole nine yards, the good, bad, and the ugly. I mean, I have seen it all in my lifetime. And so you really get down to something that says, where can I find trust? And I think we get to the notion of where I can find trust in this passage that's near the bottom of your handout. Jesus says, now ask yourself, do you actually have confidence in him? Do you actually trust him as a competent person? That he actually understood the spiritual life? So he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. So which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? But if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In a moment, we're going to pause, and we're going to get into a time of praying for each other through the vehicle of confession. Now, why confession? Just because the way we're going to do confession this morning, just it brings our life into what we're talking about. And then we're going to have a little moment, a few minutes, of laying hands on each other, just like putting our hand on someone's shoulder and praying for them. Why? It's simply sacramental. 
I mean, we, you know, we are Anglicans. We, we believe in, and recognize this sacramental worldview. Sacrament just simply means God using physical things to mediate his goodness and grace and power. So water of baptism, bread and wine, as God mediates his presence to us. Well, all through the New Testament, you have this other sacrament of Christians laying hands on each other and it mediating something of God, sometimes healing, um, sometimes blessing, sometimes ordination. Tonight, I, I have an ordination to do at APU, and I will lay my hands on Dr. Tim Peck and say, Father, make him a priest. And the church believes that in the laying on of my hands, Dr. Peck will become Reverend Peck, a priest in the church of God. That's the sort of sacramental worldview. And that's what we're gonna enter into now. Um, but this morning, uh, instead of kneeling for confession, I'm gonna ask you to stand. We're gonna have just a brief moment of silence. I want you to look at the confessional prayer, and then we're gonna confess together. And then pray for one another, if you'll all stand, please. Please.